The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 64. Hi, I'm Liz Wiseman, author of Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work. Stick around because you found the podcast that is all about learning. It's the Read to Lead Podcast with my friend, Jess Brown. Inaction that results from indulgence is procrastination. But inaction that results from intention, that is patience. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Hi, I'm Jeff, and welcome back to the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Each and every week, we sit down with a successful and inspiring business book author, and we talk about their latest book and their unique insights on things like business, leadership, personal development, marketing, career, and entrepreneurship. And I'm excited to let you know that today's guest is New York Times bestselling author Rory Vaden. Rory's latest book is called Procrastinate on Purpose. And when we sit down with Rory here in just a moment, we're going to talk about things like understanding the way most successful people in the world think differently about time. We'll talk about employing solutions to give yourself more margin in life without compromising your results. Developing a sense of inner peace and control from embracing and implementing what Rory calls the five permissions of the focus funnel and quite a bit more. First, I've got some exciting news to share about our longtime sponsor, Blinkist. In case you don't know, Blinkist is a company that inside their app serves up written business book summaries. Well, we ran a little experiment in October and early November where we did audio versions of those written summaries right here on the podcast as bonus episodes looking for your feedback as to whether or not you would like to see this audio functionality added inside the app. And the response was an emphatic yes. And I'm excited to say that as of today, that functionality now exists inside the Blinkist app. Now, the plan you're accustomed to, that $50 a year subscription that gives you access to their written summaries, in fact, to all their written summaries, is still in play. But Blinkist has just added a new plan called premium. And in their premium plan, it's the whole enchilada. You take all the benefits of what is now called their plus plan, the written summaries, and add to that the audio versions of those summaries, plus Evernote Sync for your highlights and the ability to send unlimited book summaries to your Kindle. And the premium subscription comes in at just $80 a year. But here's the best part. If you purchase a plus subscription at $50 a year or a premium subscription at $80 a year before December 24th, you get another one absolutely free to give to a friend. So buy plus, get a free plus. Buy premium, get a free premium if you do so by December 24th. Here's where you need to go to do that right now. It's readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. One more time, readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. Makes a great Christmas gift. Buy one, get one free right now. 
before December 24th. Rory Vaden is co-founder of Southwestern Consulting, a self-discipline strategist and an internationally renowned speaker. He's also host, by the way, of a top 25 business news podcast called Daily Discipline with Rory Vaden. Uh, his work has been featured in USA Today, Inc., a success magazine, one of my favorites, and Fast Company. And Rory has appeared on Fox News, CNN, and CBS News, among others. His first book, Take the Stairs, was a number one Wall Street Journal and number two New York Times bestseller. Now, his new book, and the one that's going to get the focus of our discussion today, is Procrastinate on Purpose. Yes, you heard that right. Procrastinate on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. Rory, uh, it's a true pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Oh, Jeff, it's it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I haven't gotten to take the stairs yet. I plan to read that soon, but I missed the train on that, unfortunately. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand that the, the topic of, of the new book evolved partly out of something you wrote about in your first book. So my question is, how are the two connected, and, and what's the problem you hope to solve with Procrastinate on Purpose? Mm. Well, the, the book, the two books are connected in a lot of different ways, and we'll probably touch on some of those. But uh, Take the Stairs, it, it, I think part of the reason why it's kind of been pervasive in terms of just being in different countries and things is it, it really talks about these seven misconceptions people have about self-discipline. And the whole book is about how self-discipline isn't as hard as we think when we know how to think about it the right way. And basically, it solves the problem of procrastination and how to do the things you know you should be doing even when you don't feel like doing them. So, and I love Take the Stairs. Well, in Take the Stairs, there was a a little part where we talked about three different types of procrastination. And the first one is classic procrastination. That's consciously delaying what you know you should be doing. And that's what really the Take the Stairs book was, was all about solving. But one of the other types was what we called priority dilution. And priority dilution is a term that we apparently have inadvertently coined here that really the media latched onto and people re- it really seemed to resonate with people because priority dilution, unlike classic procrastination, it, it's not, it doesn't affect the lazy people. It affects the chronic overachievers. Mm. It affects the go-getters, the movers and shakers. But it is the same net result as classic procrastination in the fact that we leave, uh, you know, we leave the office at the end of the day with our most significant priorities left unchecked, not out of laziness or apathy, but out of that we are so we, – we become successful. And so more and more people are putting more and more things on our plate and we are constantly falling victim to whatever is latest and loudest in being pulled towards the urgent and always putting out fires. And so when we realized that almost every major media uh, piece that we got was on the topic of priority dilution and it was only two paragraphs of the book, Take the Stairs, we said, hey, this is, a, this is hitting a hot button that a lot of people are struggling with. And, and let's take a couple of years and really research and, and delve into that. And, and that's that's what we what we've done. And that's, you know, become the new book, Procrastinate on Purpose. Well, one of my favorite books from several years ago, and I'm going to go out on a limb and guess you've probably read it, too, is Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Oh, yeah. Uh, he really gets your attention. One of the things that book was well known for you know, with the first sentence when he writes, it's not about you. That's how the book starts. So good. And, and similarly, Rory begins procrastinate on purpose with his own attention grabbing line. Everything you know about time management is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rory, what is the biggest myth that we have today? in our understanding of time management. Everything that you read about time management 
will be something that has to do with logic. It's, it's calendars and checklists. It's tips and tricks. It's tools and technology. It's the same kind of tired stuff. You know, sit down on Sunday and plan out your week and make a schedule and put an A by your most important priorities and create better, great, uh, you know, flow charts to map out your organization process and reorganize your filing systems and have a to-do list and, and all this stuff. And it's not that any of that is bad or that it's wrong uh, necessarily, um, but but almost everything you read on time management is all about logic. And here's what happened to me, Jeff. I was with my business partner, one of my business partners, Dustin. I'm at his house. It's a Saturday morning, uh, and that day we're having our, our global leadership planning meeting for Southwestern Consulting. And uh, we have about 95 people now. We started the business from scratch um, in 2006, and now we got 95 people, and we have six senior leaders that were flying in literally from around the world. Um, and it was the only day we could meet, so it was an important meeting. And I'm at Dustin's house, and we're leaving um, that morning, and. Uh, his little girl, two-year-old baby girl, Haven. She has this cute little curly brown hair and a you know, big, sweet baby smile. And um, she comes sprinting down the hallway. And she goes, you know, Daddy. And she's like, where are you going? And he looks at her and he's like, oh, well, uh, you know, baby Haven, Daddy's got to go to work today. And, and, uh, but, you know, I'll be, I'll be back uh, tonight. And she looks up at him, Jeff, and, and her eyes turn to tears. Mm. And she starts crying and she says, no, daddy, no work, no work today, please, daddy, no work. And in that moment, Jeff, there was two things that I realized. Mm. The first was that I'm not quite ready to have kids just yet. (laughs) 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 And, And the second one was that, you know, time management isn't just logical. Time management is emotional. And our feelings of guilt and anxiety and fear and our need to feel important and our need to impress people um, and our need to feel valued, and, and, and those emotions drive how we choose to spend our time in the reality of the moment as much as anything that is on our calendar. And, and yet nobody ever talks about those. And so when we started diving in to really understand how do the most successful people in the world think about time and do they think differently – we found one of the big things is that they, they have a strategy for managing those emotions. And that's where the subtitle of the book comes from. So procrastinate on purpose, but the subtitle is five permissions mm. to multiply your time. And those permissions all have to do with human emotions that we, we may or may not realize are driving how we choose to spend our time. Well, I want to dig into those a little bit deeper here in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about one of my favorite lines from the book. Uh, you talk about work-life balance being a myth. In fact, I think the way you say it is work-life balance is crap. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it doesn't even make sense to pursue. So, so that begs the question, then what's, what's the alternative exactly? Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. The balance, by definition, means equal force in opposite directions. And you, you hear that phrase balance all the time as we talk about time. But, but if, you, if you honestly apply that term to time, it sort of implies the idea that we would spend equal time across equal activities, uh, you know, equal force in, in opposite directions. Well, to truly be balanced then, if you sleep eight hours a day and you work something like eight hours a day, the only way that you could actually be balanced is to do one other activity and you'd have to do that activity eight hours 
every single day. <laughs> and, and so it's like this, this horrible ideal and, and, and thing that we live up to. And, you know, what balances is, is not equal activities or equal time spread across equal activities. It's appropriate time spread across critical priorities. And your priorities are always moving. They're always changing. And in Take the Stairs, one of the, one of the seven principles is called the harvest principle of seasons. And we say successful people operate more like farmers during the harvest season is they imbalance their life. And in fact, it's the opposite of what everyone says. They imbalance their life in one specific direction for a short period of time that we call a season, like a harvest season, to create a desired result. And and tax accountants have seasons and athletes have seasons and artists who launch books or records, they they have intense seasons. And when you have young kids, that's a season in education. And, and so that fits more uh, in, in terms of a practical application to our lives. And so the alternative is to quit trying to do everything and be everything to everyone all at the same time and instead choose a couple things, maybe one, uh, you know, and, and, and do the minimum of what you need to do to maintain the, the key areas of your life um, and then take all of the excess time and imbalance it, throw it at one direction. And, and it's kind of like doing a debt snowball sort of a thing. <laughs> You're going to throw all of your excess at one thing in order to create a desired result. And then once you create that result, it's a lot easier to maintain it uh, after that and, and by, by putting up, you know, just a little bit of a time on it and you can focus on something else. I'm fascinated by the way uh, previous generations, Rory, have viewed work and leisure. I think today, uh, you know, we're, as a society here in the states, at least, our views on those two things are constantly evolving. I know my views of work and leisure have have evolved uh, considerably the last five or six years. But I grew up in a household and had parents who believed, you know, you worked for forty plus years and then you retired, and yeah. and they, much like the the stat in your book, spend you know forty eight plus hours a week watching television. <laughs> now that they're in their retirement years, how do you view work and, and leisure? Well, Jeff, I viewed work uh, very much the same way, which was that the goal was retirement. You know, the goal of work is to to race as fast as possible to get enough money saved up to where you can retire. And it's almost like this invisible finish line. And um, that's the way that I viewed it. And that's the way a lot of people view work. It's almost like it's it's some punishment that we have to avoid. It's, it's, it's something that we have to endure until we can get to the place to where we no longer have to endure it. And and that's kind of what I thought. But my wife uh, was reading a book uh, and business partner and, and uh, her Bible study. They were they were reading uh, this book by Timothy Keller called Every Good Endeavor. And in that book, Timothy very clearly spells out that work was a part of God's as, as the view is, is to figure out how can I love what I do and do it as a form of worship. And, and it's not something I'm trying to race towards completion so I never have to do again avoid it or just you know, put up with um, until you can finally stop working. Work is one of the most honoring forms of worship that we have. And so when you look at it that way and you go, wow, that's a, that's a different mentality. The idea is to create a life that you love and to really, to really focus on that as, as, as the view is, is to figure out how can I love what I do and do it as a form of worship and, and it's not something I'm trying to race towards completion so I never have to do again. I thought the way you broke down the difference between importance and urgency and significance uh, was particularly eye-opening. Can you clarify the differences between the three and why uh, significance is is where it's at today? The most successful people in the world think differently from everyone else. 
there's actually a process in their brain that is different. And in Take the Stairs, it was basically uh, understanding these seven key calculations that they made that make self-discipline easier for them. Well, when we kind of approach to use the same sort of methodology for understanding how they think about time, we realized the same thing, that there there was a set of calculations that ultra performers make subconsciously, instantaneously. They don't even know they're doing it until you really pull it out of them and then you kind of repackage it and, and give it back to them. And and most of us live in a world of urgency. Mm. Um, even the, the modern to-do list is made by asking the question, you know, what are the most important things I have to get done today? And obviously, the more urgent it is, the, the more that that adds to its its importance. And urgency is a part of the importance calculation. Well, these multipliers, as we call them, they think differently. Uh, they don't just ask the question, what is the most important thing I have to do today? In fact, they ask an altogether different question. They say, how can I use my time today in a way that creates more time or more results tomorrow? And so we call that the significance calculation. So if importance is how much does something matter and urgency is how soon does it matter, then significance is how long does this matter? And, you know, prioritizing is great, but there's nothing about prioritizing that creates more time. In Dr. Covey's book, uh, the late, great Dr. Covey wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and Changed the World, one of the best books of all time. Mm-hmm. And he talks about urgency importance. Um, but the people, you know, that book was written in 1989. I mean, that's before cell phones and before social media and before, <laughs> before I mean, before the internet uh, was around. And and the world has changed, and now we are constantly bombarded with urgent messages and incoming constant fires. And, and that's the, the word our clients used to describe as they're putting out fires. And multipliers get outside of, of that urgent urgency calculation, and they stop living urgent, and they start living significant. Well, one of the promises made uh, in the book early on, and, and, and is of course mentioned in the subtitle of the book you've referenced this before, uh, and, and a promise that, that, as you might imagine, uh, I approached with a bit of skepticism, and that's multiplying your time, this idea that you can actually multiply it. How exactly is it possible to do that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, because it's not a marketing gimmick. It's, it's, not, it's not just a superlative. Here's the thing. We all live with this this faulty assumption that we all have the same amount of time, that time is finite. Well, time is finite inside of today. We all have 24 hours, uh, you know, whatever it is, 1,440 seconds or something <laughs> like or whatever, 1,440 minutes, um, whatever, whatever it is. But that is only true inside of one day. That is somebody who does not make the significance calculation. Somebody who's making the significance calculation is not, it's not just thinking about how they spend their time today. They're thinking about how their time matters tomorrow. And the way that you multiply your time in one sentence, just to give it to you straight here, is you, get, you multiply time by giving yourself the emotional permission to spend time on things today that create more time tomorrow. So today we all have the same amount of time, but there's certain things I can do today that free up my time tomorrow. And multipliers give themselves the permission to do those, those things today, and they're not always the most urgent things. Mm. Um, but they are things that they give an, a, a higher level of weight to because they know that when you make the significance calculation and you start factoring in the future, you realize there are certain things I can do today that free me up tomorrow without compromising my results. And any time that you do that, you're investing time today and then you are multiplying that time tomorrow because it's time that you 
you you would be spending and now you don't have to. Well, the book is written in three parts and part two covers the five permissions and the diagram that Rory refers to as the focus funnel. I promised we would get back to this. I'm wondering, uh, Rory, can you walk us through these permissions and, and the diagram itself? Yeah. Um, if you just picture a funnel and at the top you have all of your, your tasks coming in, emails that need to be dealt with, errands you need to run, you know, whatever, um, stuff that has to be done. Uh, the focus funnel is broken down into these five parts. And at the wide part at the top of the funnel is eliminate. The middle part of the funnel is automate. And then down towards the narrow part of the funnel is delegate. And, and the focus funnel is a visual depiction, our, our attempt to create a visual depiction at the process that multipliers go through unconsciously, uh, but they apply it to every single uh, decision they make about how they choose to spend their time. And the first question they ask is, can this be eliminated? Is this even worth doing? Um, and if the answer is yes, then they execute the eliminate strategy and they give themselves the permission to ignore. And the permission to ignore comes from being able to say no. And it, it, it's the result of an insight that uh, we, we drew from them of realizing that most of us go through life with a fear of saying no. We're afraid of offending people. We have guilt. And, and so we try to never say no. And so we end up saying yes to things that we don't really want to. And the insight that multipliers have made that not necessarily the rest of us have is that it's impossible to go through life without saying no. You're always saying no to something. Hmm. Anytime you're saying yes to one thing, you are simultaneously saying no to an infinite number of others. When you realize that, you give yourself the permission to ignore, uh, the, the permission to eliminate. And I'm spending the most time on this one because this is the one where we have the widest swath of opportunity hmm. Uh, to create the most immediate time tomorrow. If I eliminate something today by saying no, having the courage to say no and overcoming that fear of missing out or that fear of, of you know, looking bad or, or being feeling guilty, then what happens is tomorrow there's something I'm not doing that I would have been doing if I had said yes. And, and there's so many things we can just stop doing. And most, again, Everything you know about time management is wrong. Every time management book you teaches you how to do things more efficiently, how to do things faster, how to fit more in. And, and the very biggest opportunity is to go, what can you stop doing? What can you eradicate from your life? What can you just minimize? There's entire divisions of your company you might be able to just shut down because it's not a good return on your time invested. So that's eliminate. You know, we can, we can go through and talk more about, about automate, uh, but that's basically the permission to invest and then delegate, uh, you know, can it be done by somebody else? And then if, if you get down to the bottom of the funnel and the task cannot be eliminated, automated, or delegated, um, we can talk about those more in detail in just a second, but um, then when it comes out the bottom of the funnel, you know that you have a task that must be done and it must be done by you. The only remaining question then is, should I do this task now or can it wait until later? If the task cannot wait until later, then that is not eliminate, automate, or delegate. It's concentrate, the permission to protect, the permission to, to get rid of the lie of multitasking and focus and protect your attention on doing that one thing. But that question, can it wait till later, is a question most of us are afraid to ask. And it's actually a great question. If the answer is yes, it can wait until later, then I am inviting you. I'm encouraging you and I'm challenging you to not eliminate, automate, delegate, or concentrate, but to procrastinate on purpose, which is where the title of the book comes from, which is B 
being able to intentionally delay things that don't need to be done right this second so you can really give yourself the permission to do the things that multiply your time in in the moment here and now. I know for me personally, and maybe you identify with this, uh, I'm slow to automate. I'm slow to delegate. Uh, One of the really um, eye-opening sentences from the automation chapter to me was, was every moment that passes that you don't automate something that could be, you're exponentially losing future time. People have heard about the time value of money, uh, this idea that if I make an investment, let's say I invest $5 today at a 10% rate of return for 30 years, $5 invested at 10% for 30 years is something like $50. The $45 of interest, that's like compounding interest, right? It's, it's, it's the time value of money. $50 is the time value of $5 invested at 10% for 30 mm. years, Okay. Well, here was the big thing. It, it took me forever. I didn't even realize this, Jeff, until I'm sitting down trying to articulate this principle. <laughs> Automation is to your time exactly what compounding interest is to your money. In other words, compounding interest is working for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It never gets tired, never need, needs to be motivated. It is always working. The same thing is true when you automate a process. Anything that you can automate today, anything that you create a process for today saves you time tomorrow. And we call it the permission to invest because it's often the permission to invest time or money into creating that system today. None of us have extra time or money laying around to create better systems today. We're all maxed out, right? I don't have any more time. I don't have, I don't have four hours in my calendar just open with, with nothing assigned to them. <laughs> But I have to give myself the permission to to block that time to invest because if I invest that time today, then every day hereafter, I'm going to get a return on time invested. And and so the, the inverse of that is realizing every moment that passes that I don't automate something that could be, I am exponentially losing future time because I continue to do it manually. And every time I'm doing something manually, it could be automated. I, I could be I could be getting return on that investment. You talked a bit about just the emotion of this process versus you know logic. Uh, I'm wondering if you could share a bit about the emotional dynamics related to delegating specifically, because that's something I certainly struggle with. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Why do you struggle with delegating? What's the hard part about delegating? Um, I think for me is is thinking that um, you know if it's going to get done right, I, I'm the one who needs to do it. I, I think that's sometimes the, the problem. Bingo, right? We would all, like if, if, I, if we had 100 business owners sitting here, Jeff, and we asked all of them, are there things you're doing that you could teach other people how to do? Hmm. They would say, yes. 100% of them would say, yes. And you say, why don't you do it? And they would say exactly what you said and exactly what I would say, which is it would just be faster for me to do it. Or if I want it done right, I got to do it myself. That is a fear. <laughs> you know, fear is false evidence appearing real. And so if someone delegating what they're missing is the permission of the imperfect uh, that's the third permission the permission of imperfect as one of the multipliers that we profiled who's actually featured in the book he he summed this up so succinctly he said when i re- the moment i realize that 80 percent done by someone else is m- so much better than 100 percent done by me is the day that my life changed mm. and it may be true that you may be able to do it better than them and faster than them once or twice or three times, but not forever. They're going to figure it out. If you give them a chance to do it, 
they're eventually going to specialize it and they're likely going to be able to do it better than you can. And so it's the permission of imperfect to get past that first step and give them a chance to really do it. And what happens is delegation is a multiplier of your time because now tomorrow they're doing it instead of you. You've created more time tomorrow, not to mention you've started to multiply your influence through other people. You start creating skills. You start creating other leaders. And that is what multipliers do. Meanwhile, the rest of us sit around overwhelmed, stressed, frustrated, <laughs> never caught up, a thousand emails in our inbox, a uh, hundred ideas we, that we want to implement that we never get to because the payoff for us is that we get to live with the story. No one else will be able to do it as well as I can. So I'm just going to continue doing it, which means I have, I have at best linear but never exponential growth. Well, I want to address what that person who has read Take the Stairs might be thinking as they're listening to this conversation, Rory. And that is, you know, in Take the Stairs, you were telling us to take action and now you're telling us to procrastinate. So how, how do you reconcile those two? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is kind of funny. You know, at first when you read the cover, it's like take the stairs. It's like get your button gear. And now I'm saying procrastinate on purpose. Here's the thing. Actually, both both books have a, the, have the same message. Um, and the message is it comes down to doing the things you know you should be doing even when you don't feel like doing them. Take the stairs is all about how to do that. Uh, procrastinate on purpose is what to do with everything else so you can get down to that. So you can get down to doing to the thing that only you can do, and, and it requires your unique skill set. And, and here's the big distinction to realize: uh, I know procrastinating on purpose sounds a little bit like a you know a, count, a counter message, but it's it's not. There's a big difference in waiting to do something when you know you should be doing it, but you just don't feel like doing it, and waiting to do something because you're deciding that now is not the right time. Waiting to do something when you know it should be done and you don't want to do it, that is procrastination. That's when you know you should be making that sales call and you're afraid to and you're putting it off. That's procrastination. That's when you know you need to go to the gym and you don't want to go. That's procrastination. But waiting because you're deciding that now is not the right time, that's not procrastination. That is a synonym for procrastinate on purpose, which in one word is patience. It's patience to say, you know what? There's an incoming phone call, but I'm sitting with my spouse. I'm going proc- to hit ignore. Uh, a lot of us don't realize this. You actually don't have to answer every incoming phone call <laughs> Amen. the moment that it comes in. I'm going to procrastinate on purpose so I can spend time with my wife. Uh, the, the emails, yeah, I get emails every few minutes. We all do. Okay, you're not that special. That was one of the <laughs> things that I had to realize. But look, I'm going to give myself the permission to procrastinate on purpose that I don't have to answer email frenetically every six seconds going back to my inbox so I can give myself the permission to focus on the big project that I need to get done. I'm I'm going to procrastinate on purpose cleaning up my office space so that I can instead make the most I have out of the time available to to make key contacts during the day. Procrastinate on purpose isn't about really being a lazy procrastinator of some sort, not at all. It's about intentionally deciding what to put off and and how to say no to the things that don't matter so that you can say yes to the things that do matter. And and inaction that results from indulgence is procrastination. Mm. But inaction that results from intention, that is patience. And that is deciding that this lower priority – this insignificant thing can wait so that I give myself the permission to concentrate 
on the significant things that only I can do that truly multiply my time. One of the things I particularly like about the book, I love the fact that uh, each chapter ends with uh, the key points and summary, the unexpected findings, you call it, the uh, startling uh, statistic, yeah. an action question for, for putting it uh, into actual practice. Um, I want to ask some questions not directly related to the book, Rory, but before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know about? Well, one thing I would just say is, is some of these ideas are pretty radical, right? We're saying that uh, what's more important than a to-do list is a not-to-do list. We're, we're saying that, uh, you know, the calendar, it, it's super important, but logical things are not the most important part. It's the emotional things. We're talking, you don't manage your time or prioritize your time, you multiply your time. So some of these things are really radical, and we, we put together a free uh, one-hour webinar on the, on, on the whole thing. Um, and you can go to procrastinateonpurpose.com. And, and watch the webinar, and I'm teaching it, and you can see the focus funnel visually. Um, so I'd encourage you to kind of go there um, and just, you know, hit procrastinateonpurpose.com, watch the webinar, and really start to wrestle with some of these ideas uh, because they're they're very different from, you know, you may love the book, you may hate the book, but one thing you would not say is this is what I've read before. Mm. Well, I'll be sure to put a, a link to that uh, webinar in the show notes too, uh, just to make sure everybody has it. Um, now, I know you uh, do a lot of public speaking, and that's a topic that comes up pretty regularly here on the show, uh, the idea that, that your success hinges in part on your ability to effectively share your ideas in public. And so I'm curious to know, as, as a seasoned public speaker, what's, what's your approach to public speaking or, or what's your goal when you, when you set out to prepare a public talk? I'll give you my big, my greatest public speaking secret, um, <laughs> and, and, and here it is, Jeff. You know, for me, when I first started speaking, you know, there was there's always a sense of nervousness about, you know, what are they going to like what I say? Am I going to come across as funny? Am I going to, uh, you know, am I going to connect with the audience, et cetera, et cetera? And I don't know how or why or when I started doing this, but it changed everything. And now, before I go on stage. And I, and I do speak about 75 times a year, you know, association meetings and large events and, and so forth. I will sit backstage and I will look out at the audience and I will try to look at one person. And I think to myself, what would it be like to be that person? What, what is that? What are some of the things that maybe that person is struggling with? You know, a relationship issue or a financial struggle or some health battle. And Rather than thinking about my speech and what I'm going to say and am I going to be liked and am I smart enough to say something worthwhile being on stage, uh, you, one of the things that we say at Southwestern all the time is we say it's hard to be nervous when your heart's on service. Mm. And um, that really is true. It's hard to be nervous when your heart is on service. And so I'm looking out and I, and I just go, how could I be used in a way that would make this person's life better? And, and that is what I focus on. And I know that doesn't sound it's not like a technical tip. I'm telling you, that will make you a great speaker. I'm curious to know a couple of books uh, you've read. You mentioned Seven Habits. Uh, a couple of books you've read or, or maybe are currently reading that have impacted you and, and share how and why they've impacted you as they have. Oh, goodness. <laughs> where, uh, where to begin, right? My favorite books. Yeah, I actually wrote a blog post called The Last 70 Books I've Read because I get asked. <laughs> and I read about a book a week. Um, ah. I, I read a lot. You know, if, if I had to boil it down, you know, first and foremost, I think that the best leadership book of all time is the Bible. Mm. Um, and, and regardless of, of what your 
religious affiliation is, I would just encourage you to op- open it and and just read it. I mean, the the principles are amazing about just ha- you know how how we're designed and how people operate, and um, so that's a powerful book. I read that every morning. Um, you know, other than that, I would I would say it's probably there's some cliche ones in here. How to win friends and influence people would have to be on the list. Good to great would would have to be on the list. Just uh, the whole concept of hedgehog. Uh, Dave Ramsey's changed my life. I mean, that's how I got to know Dave Ramsey and their teams. I went through and paid off fifty thousand dollars of personal debt. Mm. Um, that was a huge one. Uh, one that you don't hear that often anymore, uh, but that really had a big impact on me was Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. Oh yeah, yeah. and uh, just as it relates to how we uh, think about money and approach money, and, and that book has had a massive impact on on my life. I mean, I, I could I could I could literally just talk and talk and talk about you know the one big idea I learned from each of books. <laughs> well, you and I are kindred spirits of sorts, I think, because I, I I read uh, on pace of about a book a week as well, and and that was the the genesis for for starting this podcast because I enjoy it so much and talking about uh, books I'm reading, concepts, and all that. Uh, another question I wanted to ask you was, you know, you've had the opportunity to impact a lot of people with your public speaking, of course, with your books, uh, your consulting as well. At the end of the day, Rory, what do you hope your legacy to be? You know, for me, Jeff, I've had a lot of clarity from the time that I was very pretty young that I just feel like I am here to talk about the message of self-discipline and that I'm I'm here to encourage and inspire people and give them insights to help them do the things they know they should be doing even when they don't feel like doing them, i.e. take the stairs. And I think the world needs self-discipline. We need men with self-discipline. We need leaders with more discipline. Uh, we need our marriages and our kids to have more more discipline. And when people don't understand discipline, we, we think of it as a, as, a, as a bad word, as a word we don't want to hear. And yet every single successful person, there, there's, there's not a story of a real-life success where they didn't have to, at one point at least, have the discipline to do things they didn't want to do. And... It's, you know, it, 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 it says in, in Hebrews, you know, none of us like discipline at the time, yet it produces a harvest of righteousness for anybody that has been trained by it. And, and that whole idea is it's not about making life as hard as possible. It's about making life as easy as possible. It's just counter what you hear about get rich quick and, and make money fast and, and, you know, buy now and pay for it later. It's the idea that the shortest, most guaranteed path to greatness is to do the hardest parts of things as soon as possible. So it's about making your life as easy as possible. You just have to do the hardest parts of things as soon as possible. And self-discipline creates that freedom. Um, and we never get to stop being disciplined uh, because success is never owned. Success is only rented. And the rent is due every day. Um, and that's what we, you know, we say that and take the stairs and, and it's, it's, it's a big catchphrase of ours that, that success in anything that matters to you is, is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. Um, but that doesn't mean your life is going to be awful. It means your, your life is going to be easy. The most disciplined people in the world are the ones with all the money and all the freedom and all the influence and all the great relationships and, and, and the great marriages and the great kids and, and the great impact. And for me, that that comes down to just one word, self-discipline. Well, I know you've just uh, wrapped up writing the book, and it's not even published yet at the time of this conversation. 
but I usually end, and I'd like to end uh, this interview by asking uh, if you know what's next on the horizon uh, for you. What are you working on now that, that you're excited about? That's a great question, and that's not one that I get asked all that often. Um, you know, Southwestern Consulting is is where my focus, is, you know, is, is really building a company. I don't want to just be someone who teaches about how to have a successful company. I want to I want to be someone who's building one and, and making mistakes and learning alongside of everybody that I'm talking to. And and uh, you know, our our the reason we exist is to help people achieve their goals in life, and the way that we do that is is through one on one sales coaching and. Uh, we want to have 400 coaches. We have about 60 coaches right now, and we want to have 400 coaches by the year 2020 and, and 8,000 clients. We have about 900 active right now. Mm. Um, and so that's a, that's a huge part. In terms of you know uh, the content that we're working on, the next book will, will most undoubtedly be on, on selling, and, and there's some discussion about what it's called, but uh, I, I don't even know if I should be saying this, but you know the tentative title of the next book will be Servant Selling. And it, it will really be um, a mission to redefine. If this, if Take the Stairs redefined the way the world thought about self-discipline and procrastinating on purpose hopefully redefines the way the world thinks about time, then servant selling would be our, our best effort to redefine the way that, that the world thinks about selling and salespeople and, and how ethical selling is at the heartbeat of what made America great and the heartbeat of what makes every business uh, you know, successful and that when you do it right, it is the greatest service of all, both to the customer and, and to the people inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and that message, it's hard to be nervous when your heart's on service. <laughs> Well, uh, we're going to be sure and uh, link to the webinar you mentioned earlier. Also, uh, it looks like a special uh, pre-order offer. Uh, yeah. We'll link to that as well. Rory's website, of course, and, and various social media sites where you can connect with Rory as well. I really enjoyed this conversation, Rory, and uh, the book has, has enlightened me. I thank you for it, and thank you especially for taking time out of your very, very busy schedule to spend time with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, you're helping me, man. I, I'm I'm honored to be here, and I think it's so cool what you do. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. And and you know, I hope we stay connected. I'm sure I'll probably bump into you around Nashville. <laughs> definitely, definitely. The books Rory recommended and the other links and resources we talked about can all be found in the special page created just for today's episode. It's called the show notes page, and you'll find it at readtoleadpodcast.com/slash zero six four. For episode 64. Don't forget about that special Blinkist deal. Now adding audio summaries of some of your favorite business books inside the Blinkist app. To sign up for the premium or the plus subscription and get a free one for a friend just in time for Christmas, go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. I'm so thankful for the ratings and reviews that come in each and every week. These help raise the level of notoriety of the podcast and so they're very very important if you haven't yet rated and reviewed the podcast i encourage you to do so read to lead podcast.com slash itunes if you're an itunes user or read to lead podcast.com slash stitcher to review the podcast there thanks to man crack for his five-star rating and wonderful review also the real jb81 with a five-star rating and review and l todd 40 also giving the podcast a five-star rating. Finally, I want to give a shout-out to my friend Jason Benavidez. He's owner and coach at Octane Athletic Performance. 
He's a runner and has over 12 years' experience training athletes and other individuals. He uses his expertise to help develop effective training programs for his clients of Octane AP. If you'd like to benefit from Jason's training absolutely free, he has a relatively new podcast called Octane Athletic Performance. You can find out all about it at OctaneAthleticPerformance.com or the easy way to remember, OctaneAP.com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. That's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,